2: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to New Books and Biography, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Mark Clovis, your host for the channel. Today, I'm speaking with Daniel Lux, author of the book, Reconsidering Reagan, Racism, Republicans, and the Road to Trump. Daniel, welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you, Mark. I was wondering if you could start us off by telling our listeners something about yourself.
1: Um, I grew up in uh, a suburb of Chicago, and uh, I... uh, 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 attended the University of California at Berkeley in the 80s during the era of Reagan's presidency. I, had, Of course, I went to Berkeley and, and was uh, infused with the 60s idealism. However, when I attended Berkeley, Reagan was president and defined the period. And uh, I ended up uh, going to law school, and I worked as a criminal defense attorney and a public aid uh, lawyer. And this was kind of against the backdrop of the whole Reagan era. Uh, Later in life, I got a Ph.D. in history and and focused on civil rights. And my first book was called Selma to Saigon, the Civil Rights Movement and the Vietnam War. So I was very interested in, in civil rights and analyzing the impact of the Vietnam War on the civil rights movement. And then I turned my attention to the intersection of race, civil rights and Reagan and conservatism. What led you to adopt that focus? Well, um, I had read quite a bit about conservatism when I was thinking about my dissertation topic, but instead went back and did my my first book about the Vietnam War. But I realized that there had never been a sustained book uh, about the interaction between conservatism and civil rights. And I wanted to fill a gap in the historiography.
2: Making Reagan the focus of your book is really fascinating because he has such a interesting relationship with race. And I, I thought that came across very well when you describe Reagan's uh, early views uh, growing up in uh, uh, Illinois and and how the, the Reagan of, those, of that period is so very different from the Reagan with which we're all familiar in terms of his views on race.
1: Very good point, Mark. And um, one of the interesting things about Reagan was that he grew up uh, in the in the night. He was born in 1911 and he grew up in a very small town in Illinois where in Dixon and a series of small towns in Illinois. And both his parents for that period were quite progressive and enlightened on race and civil rights. In particular, uh, his father, Jack Reagan, was a Catholic uh, who abhorred the Klan and uh, had really uh, had a sensibility where he he stood up for the little guy, and his mother was extremely religious and she was affiliated with the Church of Dis- the Church of Disciples and uh, civil rights and and, and race was uh, a big. Uh, uh, it, 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 it kind of was a big, uh, idi- big thing for his mother. I mean, anti-racism, and, and Reagan was imbued for his time with uh, a very, a very enlightened and tolerant view on race. So, um, and later on in life, when he was accused of being racist because of his policies, which were uh, hostile to the black freedom struggle, he would often uh, defend himself by. Uh, citing his growing up in a very racial racially tolerant home, so that that is quite uh, quite interesting about Reagan. So uh, you
2: have the, these these early views, and yet you're as you've already alluded to. By the time he's a, the governor of California in the late 1960s, he is being interpreted very differently. When does that change take place, and what were some of the factors involved in in the shift in his views? That's a very good question. And
1: it's pretty complicated. Uh, Reagan, even, even, uh, Reagan, even as a young man, when he first came to Hollywood was, was always very politically engaged and always had a very, uh, had, had had a very anti-racist mindset. He, uh, he was admitted to a country club in Los Angeles, but then, uh, decided not to be not to be a member because of their discrimination against against Jews and African Americans. But Reagan underwent a a profound uh, conversion experience in in the forties, uh, during the crucible of the labor strife that erupted in Hollywood and he became an FBI informant. Uh, and he I think the major, major uh, event was his paranoia about communism, and he kind of perceived the civil rights struggle through a red lens. He kind of, he kind of uh, thought that uh, those that were pursuing civil rights were affiliated with the communist party, and later on, Reagan's views become more extreme. In the in the nineteen fifties, when he becomes a corporate pitchman for General Electric and marries Nancy, who's his second wife, Nancy Reagan, uh, who comes from a very conservative family, so uh, it's it's kind of a, a gradual uh, uh, process. But by the time Reagan enter, enters politics in the sixties, he completely jettisons his youthful concern and preoccupation for civil rights. Now. As you've
2: explained, Reagan's views aren't developing in a vacuum, and you also go into some detail in terms of the national context of what's happening with race and politics during this period. I was wondering if you could perhaps explain this context, what was going on with with race in in national politics in the late 1950s, early 1960s, and how Reagan fit in with those trends and, and, and how those trends directed him politically
1: yes, uh now, by the time that Martin Luther King emerges on the scene in the in in nineteen fifty five and the civil rights movement is starting to uh, uh, engage the public consciousness, Reagan is at that time extremely conservative okay he's uh aligned with uh, Barry Goldwater and also he's uh aligned with the segregationists like Strom Thurmond and the other uh, former Dixiecrats in the South who are opposed to the civil rights movement. Now, Strom and the others opposed the civil rights movement because they were segregationists. Reagan uh, perceived uh, the civil rights struggle as part of the liberals' Uh, vision of change and using the federal, using the power of the federal government to enact change, and Reagan was fundamentally opposed to uh, federal intervention in any form. So he always said that he opposed the civil rights uh, movement on sort of libertarian grounds, but uh, in effect, it was aligned with the Southerners' goal of preserving segregation. Now,
2: how does this play a role in the start of his career in elective office? I mean, what's going on? Is it a factor in terms of his election to the governorship of California? Does it play a role during that period as governor? And is it something that he is uh, talking about with regard to becoming president when he's engaged in his initial campaign in 1968?
1: Yeah. Okay. So Reagan, Reagan is a, is a, is a uh, actor, of course, in the forties. And by the, by the fifties, he gains public prominence as the television host of General Electric. Uh, And he's becoming increasingly conservative and uh, even uh, uh, even going to speeches with members of the John Burr Society. And he gets his Major political start in 1964 when he makes a major speech on behalf of Barry Goldwater in the closing days of the campaign. The speech was called The Time for Choosing. And it was a very uh, bombshell speech, which got a lot of attention. Although Goldwater went down to a terrible defeat, he lost uh, 45 states, but because of his opposition to civil rights, Goldwater won five southern states. Now, right after the election, a lot of wealthy people in California uh, who would be known as the Kitchen Cabinet uh, urge Reagan to run for governor against the two-term incumbent incumbent Pat Brown. And they're convinced that Reagan could have perhaps been a much better candidate than Goldwater. So Reagan at this time is very politically engaged and he decides to run for governor of California against Pat Brown in 1966. And during the campaign, Uh, race, the whole, the whole issue of race and civil rights, uh, becomes a focal point of the campaign. And this is, uh, Reagan's Reagan's campaign for 66, uh, occurs only a few months after the Watts riots that erupted in August of 1965, which really created a lot of, uh, confusion and anger and fear uh, among among whites and people all over the country. And there was a lot of fear of crime. And Reagan successfully deployed the whole law and order thing. Uh, and also, uh, another major issue, in addition to Watts, was Pat Brown had signed a very controversial and far-reaching Fair Housing Act called the Rumford Fair Housing Act, which um, abolished discrimination in the sale and rental of real estate property. It was it was the most far reaching Fair Housing Act. And this created a lot of fear because a lot of suburban suburban middle class whites really didn't want black people uh, moving into their area, into their neighborhoods. They were afraid of crime. They were worried about uh, the loss that their house, their residential houses would lose value. And uh, uh, in 1964, even though Goldwater uh, lost, the, uh, the people of California overturned the Fair Housing Act in, in Proposition 14. And this was still a live issue on the ballot. And Reagan went around the state blasting and excoriating the, the Fair Housing Act. He took pains to say that his uh, opposition to the Fair Housing was not based on President uh um, and any prejudice that he had and again he harkened back to his childhood where he was uh raised in a very racially liberal and liberal household but Reagan state said that uh it was a matter of uh selling disposing one's property as one sees fit so um again he uh most people most people realize that there was a a big racial animus against fair housing but Reagan took a libertarian uh, view. And this played very well with a lot of people throughout California, particularly a lot of working class whites who had traditionally voted for, for Democrats. But then in 66, they flipped and voted for Reagan in part because of their fears of uh, fear of the advances of the civil rights movement, fear of riots, fear of hordes of African-Americans moving into their neighborhoods and destroying their property values and schools. So race was uh, really pivotal to Reagan's political rise. And this is something that that his uh, followers and many Reagan supporters haven't really taken into consideration. I was especially struck by when you were describing uh, not his
2: race against Pat Brown, but his race against George Christopher in the primary. Christopher was this uh, successful yeah. gu- uh, mayor of San Francisco. He was a racial liberal, and you describe how the one time that Christopher really seemed to get under Reagan's skin was when he accused Reagan of racism, and, and how it was it was very sensitive. It was a very sensitive point with Reagan even at that time.
1: Yeah. And that was not an isolated incident, Mark. Uh, the unruffled Reagan lost his composure on numerous occasions throughout his political career when he was pressed on uh, his his uh, policies and hostility to the civil rights. Uh, and that particular incident was quite telling. It occurred in March 1966, just a few weeks after Reagan announced his candidacy for governor, And there was a debate between Reagan and George Christopher and another lesser known candidate. And it had occurred at a meeting of of, uh, the National Association of Republicans in Santa Monica. And George Christopher really pressed Reagan. He said, I don't understand. he he was very critical of Reagan and Barry Goldwater's stance on opposition to civil rights and said, we're we're never going to make any progress as a party if we're hostile to civil rights. And uh, Reagan uh, got very angry and lost his temper and stormed out of the room. And uh, this was quite telling. He He was, he was sick and suffering from a bad cold, but, he, whenever anybody pressed Reagan, he uh, seemed to lose his composure, and it seems to indicate that perhaps he knew deep down that he was that he was uh, doing something that was untoward. Or uh, so that's it's uh, it was quite an interesting moment.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to Shopify.com slash system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's Shopify.com slash system.
2: So Reagan's able to ride this white backlash into the governor's mansion and he serves 8 years as governor during this period is he really trying to is he pushing for a lot of legislation to roll back civil rights initiatives is he putting a lot of political capital behind that or is it more simply a matter of rhetoric and association but without any real action
1: well it's interesting first of all to note that during 8 during the 8 years that Reagan was governor of California between 1967 and 1965 for the most part, he was confronted with a uh, Democratic majority in both the state assembly and the state Senate. So his, his, uh, his ability to enact uh, a lot of measures were limited. And as governor, uh, he didn't really, I don't know, uh, he didn't really have that much uh, power, in a sense, to roll back uh, civil rights initiatives. I think Reagan during his governorship was really focused on positioning himself to be president. That was something that he always wanted. He always perceived the Sacramento and the governorship in California as a stepping stone to the presidency. So his 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 political tactic was more rhetorical. Uh, He was uh, obsessed with, you know, Raleigh rolling up his political base and it's important to note that in 1968 reagan actually uh uh ran for president and he didn't run in any of the primaries in 1968 but he held himself out to be a favorite son and the favorite son candidate where he controlled the california de- delegation and he traveled around the country uh and this was during the heyday of the riots and uh, Uh, you know, uh, against the backdrop of Newark burning and Detroit and uh, the beginning of black power. And Reagan uh, was holding himself up to be the law and order candidate. And he was appealing to the powerful Southern barons who controlled the the delegations to help uh, make him president in 1968. And in actuality, his rhetoric wasn't so much different than, than George Wallace, who was a stalwart segregationist. Uh, of course it was different in tone, but it, uh, Re- Reagan really, really, uh, played the race card to benefit him. And he almost, he came very close to being president in 1968
2: hmm. and, uh, does that hop up again when he's running for president in 1976 and
1: 1980? Yeah, in 1970. Okay, so Reagan, Reagan doesn't run in any primaries in 1968, um, but he comes pretty close, and he gives Nixon a big scare. Um, and he leaves the governorship in in 1975. But I want to backtrack a little bit and, and note that it, it, during Reagan's second term as as governor. He makes welfare, the issue of welfare reform, the linchpin of his second term agenda. And he really goes after uh, welfare uh, recipients who most people know are, are black people and claims that there's there's massive fraud and, and welfare is, is killing us. And um, he position and this really resonates with a lot of people and it makes them uh, It it, it enables him to be opposed to to sound like he's reasonable and and opposed to fraud and abuses, while at the same time most racists know what he's doing. Um, So he runs for president again in, in 76 and does very well in the South. And in doing so, he makes use of, he, he 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 goes around speaking in places like New Hampshire when he's running against Gerald Ford in the primary and speaks out about a fictitious welfare queen and repeats it over and over and over again about a, a, a one woman who has seven aliases and uh drives a Cadillac and has all these mink, mink coats and is getting like these, this this gigantic money uh defrauding the welfare system and actually there was a there was a woman uh who got in trouble but reagan totally exaggerates this uh but this this place this this, this whole southern strategy plays quite quite well and of course bussing is a really big issue in the 70s and reagan is opposed to bussing and um and really uh it makes a big deal against the black panthers he as governor he makes a big campaign against Angela Davis, who fires Angela Davis when she's a uh, teaching assistant at the University of California, Los Angeles. So Re- Reagan is really adept at, uh, at, 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 at uh, opposing the civil rights movement and black aspirations and, without being racist. And this is what a lot of historians call Reagan's dog whistles. He talks about states' rights welfare queens, and uh, really appeals to the growing block of disaffected former Southern Democrats who have become Republicans and are now uh, becoming the strength, the locus of the Republican Party. Hmm. So he,
2: you know, has that as part of his issue. And you make it clear that, you know, he's not a candidate entirely about race that there are other issues at play, other issues that frankly matter more to him. But as president, he uh, embarks upon what you describe as a civil rights counter-revolution. I was wondering if you could explain what you mean by that, and what were the elements of this effort during his presidency?
1: Well, that's a big question. And, of course, I want to to say at the outset, and and, and you repeated this, um, that race was not, the animating issue of reagan's political career and ideology I, I i think it's fair to say that R- R- reagan's political conversion was all about anti-communism and rolling back the communists he kind of perceived them as the, the focus of evil and he also wanted to roll back the scope of the government but that being said uh Re- reagan uh used R- reagan allied himself with very conservative Particularly, a lot of the old Southerners, okay, and and who opposed civil rights, and as president, uh, Reagan uh, embarked on a campaign, in a sense, to roll to reverse the gains of the civil rights movement, and uh, it happened on on a, on a number of different different levels. First of all, um, Reagan wanted to uh, undo a lot of the judicial civil rights, the the jurisprudential civil rights revolution of the Warren Court. And he packed the courts, made a systematic campaign to pack the federal courts with a lot of judges who would, for instance, reverse affirmative action. Affirmative action became a major staple of Reagan's judicial, judicial campaign. Uh, for Reagan and a lot of the very conservative people like Ed Meese, who was the point man for civil rights for Reagan and later became Attorney General, they felt that civil rights the Civil Rights Revolution was over, that blacks were equal now with the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 50, 65, but it was really now white men who were being discriminated against. And they totally uh, totally cut back on resources and funding in the Reagan's Justice Department and, uh, denu- and, and denuded the equal, op- equal uh, op- what is it, the Equal EEOC? Equal Employment Opportunity Staff Commission. Equal, uh, equal Opportunity Employment Commission. They appointed judges that he hoped would reverse, reverse affirmative action. Uh, another thing Reagan did was he... Um, he packed. He pretty much destroyed the uh, Civil Rights Commission, which was established in 1957, and it was entrusted with uh, investigating and uh, uh, to, to investigating incidences of civil rights abuses, and to make sure that you know, in all aspects of the of the government, that uh, the civil rights laws were, were being enforced and Reagan was very upset that the previous Civil Rights Commission was was supportive of affirmative action and busing, and we're still criticizing the slow pace of school desegregation. And Reagan made this a political issue, and he got quite upset, and he tried to fire a bunch of people on the Civil Rights Commission, and this created a big brouhaha. brouhaha. And then what happened was that they eventually— there were six civil rights commissioners, and then later on Reagan added a couple other people and packed them with very conservative people and which pretty much destroy, which destroyed undermined the integrity and the strength of the of the civil rights commission yeah you know, on a whole host on a whole host of issues uh the Reagan Justice Department uh, attempted to really roll back uh a lot of the uh landmark um uh, le- landmark laws that were passed in the 60s and 70s he didn't he didn't succeed entirely because there at that time there were a lot of republican moderate senators who still thought that the uh, uh blacks uh could be part of uh the democratic of the republican coalition now another thing reagan did was that he also um was initially opposed to extending um uh, the terms of the Voting Rights Act for another 25 years and wanted to make it more difficult for um, for uh, a, a case to be made for uh, a, 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 a voting rights infringement. Uh, eventually, Reagan backed down, but on a whole host of issues, he was quite reactionary on race.
2: Now, a lot of the issues regarding race weren't ones that Reagan himself initiated, or inaugurated, and here I, I'm thinking of the prime example being South Africa. That during the 1980s, you know, the the question of the the apartheid regime in South Africa was was a was one of of international concern, and and Reagan, you know, uh, had to engage with it. And you explain how he does so within the context of his larger concerns about anti-communism and so forth. I was wondering if you could perhaps elaborate as to how that became an issue and and how that reflects reagan's attitudes about race
1: exactly now one of the reasons why reagan claimed that he opposed the civil rights struggle in the 60s because he felt that government intervention wasn't necessary and he perceived the civil rights movement through a communist through a red lens reagan was had a a, a maniacal fear of communism so much of his much of his uh justification for opposing civil rights legislation in the sixties was that it was the civil rights movement was a red plot to destabilize America. Now by the 1980s when Reagan's president, um, the issue of the apartheid regime in South Africa is beginning to take center stage. And for African Americans, it becomes the most important issue. Um, Jimmy Carter, uh, in the 70s, Reagan's predecessor, took was starting to uh, espouse the theory of human rights. Although Carter didn't really critique the South African government, the apartheid racist government in South Africa, as much as a lot of African Americans wanted to. When Reagan became president, he flips Carter's switch and inaugurates a policy of what he terms constructive engagement. Uh, Reagan, Reagan kind of comes to the conclusion, and uh, and that we can deal with the government of South Africa by and change them through friendly persuasion. All right, Reagan. But underlying this is Reagan's concern that the Russians are stirring up the anti-apartheid act and a bunch of communists like the the imprisoned leader Mel, Mel, Nelson Mandela. Um, is a Russian stooge, and Reagan perceives the struggle, you know, to end apartheid through the same red prism that he used the civil rights movement. And this creates a major furor throughout the country, and I lived through the period of the 1980s, as maybe you did, and there was a huge wave of anti-apartheid sentiment that cropped up throughout college campuses um, that were clamoring for the end to the apartheid and the imposition of sanctions on the apartheid regime. Now, Reagan was stubbornly opposed sanctions, um, and eventually uh, the, the Congress passed passed a major law in 1986 imposing sanctions on the South African government, and Reagan vetoed it, much to the consternation of, you know, civil rights advocates throughout the world. And in the end, Congress overrode the veto, and and Nelson Mandela himself credited the anti-apartheid opposition to Reagan's policies for ending apartheid. So that was quite a quite a heroic uh, uh, effort on behalf of Reagan's foes. And I think that it uh, it says a lot about Reagan and it constitutes an indelible blight on his legacy.
2: Another aspect of, the, uh, you, of Reagan's policies that you address in the book is uh, his approach to the problem of drugs. And you describe that how, in, in effect, that you have him uh, making, uh, you know, almost making being black a crime. I was wondering if you could perhaps uh, elaborate upon how race uh, ends up shaping that policy and how it's reflective of, you know, Reagan's views in general.
1: Yeah, it, the war, Reagan, uh, beginning in the early 80s, you know, Ra- Reagan launch began ratcheting up the war on drugs. Um I, I, I uh I again I, I don't really know if Reagan was overtly uh doing this to punish African Americans. I think initially uh the the war on drugs provided uh an opportunity for his wife Nancy uh to get involved in policy, who Nancy was of course his partner who was very powerful, his most influential advisor, and she had been under a lot of uh taking a lot of criticism for her uh, for refurbishing the White House anyway. So Re- Reagan kind of launches this, this war on drugs. Um, and again, Reagan didn't begin the war on drugs. Actually, it was it was started uh, by Richard Nixon in the 70s. But Reagan ratchets it up. It gives them sort of a uh, an outlet for his wife. And later on in in a few years later, uh, the crack epidemic, you know, uh, crack cocaine enters into the American consciousness. And uh, there there begins to be this massive fear of blacks and uh, unfettered crime and crack just kind of connoted this very dangerous inner city type of violence. And following the, uh, uh, the death of the basketball star Len Bias in 1986, Reagan is out on front, really, um, kind of pounding the need to get tough on crime, tough on drugs, and Congress, with with Reagan's prodding in 1986, passes these very draconian drug laws, which impose harsh, mandatory sentences for the sale and possession of of cocaine, and uh, the crack cocaine in particular, what's particularly egregious is that uh, punishment for crack cocaine is is, uh, 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 meted out at 100 times greater than that of powder cocaine, and powder cocaine is largely used by white people, whereas crack cocaine was in inner city. But the upshot of the whole war on drugs is this, this system of mass incarceration, which ravages african-american communities and i think that the whole underpinning of the war on drugs was racist and goes back to this this fear of, of of black crime and black males now in fairness to reagan it was a bipartisan effort that enacted these draconian laws and even a lot of uh uh powerful uh african-american leaders were were were, were in favor of some of these tough laws but reagan uh Reagan was the president, he had a lot of popularity, and he realized that the war on drugs was quite popular politically and he drummed it up right before the nineteen eighty six reelection went on t v and made it the centerpiece of his campaign and uh, as I said, underlying the war on drugs was a, a fear of a fear of blacks and criminality, and it had a devastating impact on generations of African American communities, something that we're still dealing with right now hmm. and I think we can uh, that's another really uh, uh, horrific, racial, racist legacy of Reagan's presidency.
2: And that's what I, I, I'd like to turn our focus to, because you, uh, have, you, you, you focus in the book uh, uh, on, on Reagan's presidency, but you also talk about its legacy, and it's one that, as you explained, uh, is still being felt to this day. What is the, the legacy of Reagan's views on race, and, and how do we still experience their consequences?
1: That's a good question. And it's uh, it's uh, something that's a little complicated. But I again, I I, uh, I think Reagan's legacy on race was omission. Um, I think that this country uh, it has defined by its collision uh, with 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 slavery and the legacy of Jim Crow and segregation. And Reagan kind of came in and said, well, we don't have to really worry about that or think about it, because we're all Americans and we're not racist, and I'm not racist. But at the same time, he uh, enacted policies that were antithetical to, to African Americans. And exacerbated the the whole racial divide. Now, not only were these these uh, these policies racist, but it's imp- also important to backtrack and remember that re- that Reaganomics uh was really the linchpin of, of of Reagan's term which involved cutting taxes for the extremely wealthy people and meanwhile slashing uh needed social programs for uh poor poor people and many many african african americans of color i think reagan made uh racism okay in a way i mean it would have not been appropriate for reagan to spout the racist epithets of of a george wallace but he uh enacted uh race, race you know, very hostile policies and racist policies of the genial smile. And I think that Reagan, Reagan's popularity uh, and his, his influence and his, uh, you know, how the conservatives revere him really uh, reflects their uh, inability to really squarely address our, our our racial problems.
2: Well, we've taken a lot of your time. Before we go, could you tell us what you're working on now?
1: Uh, you know, I'm doing the best I can in the in this pandemic to uh, try to spur interest in this book. Um, I am contemplating a a project uh, uh, in, uh, involving Richard Nixon's uh, sabotaging of the Vietnamese peace po- talks days before his 1968 election. I think it's important to given given Trump's. Uh, uh, involvement of the Russia scandal to point out that there were other, uh, other, other events and that preceded it. And I'm, I'm thinking about doing that, but, um, again, I, I do want to, uh, uh, take a lot of time to, to focus on the, our, our current national conversation and reckoning with our racist legacy. And I think it's an, important to, to keep in mind that, you know, all Americans are, are are complicit in our nation's ra- racial history. And, and Reagan, you know, the great conservative icon. And there will be a clamor in the post-Trump age for a lot of Republicans to return to Reagan. And I think it's important for me to continue to keep in mind Reagan and the conservative movement shortcomings as we move forward Um in 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 the Biden era, and the Republicans try to reboot. Hmm.
2: Well, thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule to speak with us, Daniel. I hope you have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it.